We are on part 10, part 10 of our series in Nehemiah. We are working our way through the book of Nehemiah, the whole thing, and uh, it uh, is going to run long, which is not my, my intent. I planned it out Sunday by Sunday so it would fit in the summer, and somehow I managed to miscount the number of weeks in summer. So uh, we are going to end up running a little over, but um, so we're in part 10. Uh, let's pray and, and uh, prepare here. Heavenly Father, I, I pray that you be with the folks who are here and just touch their hearts. Create a fertile soil, a place where your word would find a home, Lord, where, where it would be watered by your spirit and, and grow into something great and bring a, bring a yield, bring a crop, Lord. I pray that you would uh, be with me and help me to speak in a way that's faithful to your, to your intent with the text and, and that I wouldn't talk in a way that's all about my perspective or opinion, but, but that I would just be faithful, Lord. Above all, I ask that you'd help me to, to just put me away and speak, um, speak only your word. In Christ's name, amen. All right. My disclaimer up front this week, it's not a good thing when you start with a disclaimer. Um, my disclaimer up front is that... Um, I kind of committed to doing chapter by chapter by chapter. We've skipped a little bit, like for genealogies and whatnot, and uh, um, but this is a long chapter. Um, I'm going to do my best to get it all in and not do it in an hour, okay? <laughs> um, but as we dive into it, I uh, I, I want to kind of present a biblical concept that that's there and that sort of is the overriding theme of this passage. Um, the idea that um, God is in control. Everybody got it? Um, Jesus puts it, I think, probably my favorite when he says, um, God watches over you in such a way that not a hair can fall from your head without the will of the Father in heaven. Right? That God is so focused on what is going on with you. He is so invested. He is so right there that, like, nothing happens without him at least allowing it to happen. Everybody with me? Um, there are other passages that, that touch on this that are sometimes abused uh, by preachers, but I'm just going just gonna to touch on this. God does all things, right? He allows things to happen. God works um, in our interest. Sometimes this happens in ways we don't like, right? Um, but ultimately one of the central concepts of the Bible is that we worship a God who is big and powerful and wise and has his hand on all things, right? Um, Paul puts it a different way when he says that all things, or God works through all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, meaning that like even the worst, worst, worst of things can work out to glorify God in the long run. Everybody with me? Um, that having been said, um, we're going to look at an overview of Israel's history. Um, this is a, a huge chunk of song, right? But it's like American Pie long. Everybody with me? He covers, they cover everything. It is a long psalm um, with a couple of big things going on. Um, and kind of to illustrate what's going on, um, I, I want to share something. Um, my grandfather, I, I barely knew my grandfather. I hear about him quite a bit or heard about him quite a bit growing up, because I was apparently very similar to him, right? My grandfather was an arguer. I know it's hard to believe. 
But he, like one of his favorite moments in life, apparently, is what I've been told, is when the knock would come on the door and you'd open it up and there would be the Jehovah's Witnesses. <laughs> and he'd invite them in and he would sit down and they would run away eventually. Um, my, my grandfather was a man who, who um, was very intelligent, right? Um, but never went to school. Um, he fought in World War II. Um, by the way, on the opposite side from my mother's father, <laughs> which I always thought would make for a very colorful wedding. But that's neither here nor there. <laughs> um, um, he won the Silver Star in World War II. Never, ever, ever would tell the story of how it happened. Couldn't drag it out of him. Um, but he was a man of courage, and he was a man of integrity. He was also a man who drank way too much. And like every story I ever heard about him was tainted by that. The story of him drinking to escape, like like how bad things turned out, how things turned out in the war, how um, he was a man of so much potential, but worked as a garbage man his whole life. Um, and my father, my, my dad, um, is a man I respect dearly, right? My dad went to school. My dad joined the army and nearly served in Vietnam. My dad almost went to seminary, um, but he ran out of money, <laughs> and he met my mom. And instead of continuing with school, he got married and got a degree in history. And as we all know, a degree in history is worthless. <laughs> it's because your family's here. It's <laughs> I, I have a degree in philosophy, so... Um, um, but my dad joined the Air Force, and we moved from place to place, and, and every night before dinner, we prayed together, right? We didn't go to church for years and years, but we prayed together, and I always knew there was a God, and even in the worst times of my like childhood, I would back up and I would say, well, I'm pretty sure there's someone out there in control, right? I didn't know him, but I knew he was there, um, my folks are very devout now. They go to church. They're, they're invested. My father and I have spiritual conversations, um, which started when I became a Christian, which was 20-some-odd years ago now. I know you think, well, he became a Christian when he was five. Um, <laughs> but I, I, uh, in Montgomery, Alabama, I was invited to a church picnic. I started going, and I just all I wanted was to be like Jesus. All I wanted was to be close to the God who would love me so much, even though I was a screw-up, right? Anybody else experience this? Um, and there was a time in my walk with Christ where I did what I wanted, and I said, God, you're going to be okay with this. And there were other times in my walk with Christ where I said, God, you're not going to see me do these things. Look, a distraction, you know. <laughs> and I did what I wanted, and repeatedly God has called me back, Right? There is no far enough I can go to get away from him. And that is hard, isn't it? King David wrote in the Psalms, even if I make my bed in hell, right? What he says is the bottom of the ocean. When we read the Old Testament, the bottom of the ocean is actually like the sea and the rivers and everything is symbolic for God's judgment and being cast into chaos, right? And so, like, it, it can be understood, even if I make my bed in hell, the day that God has decided to come and get me, he'll come and get me, because I cannot, no matter how far I run, no matter how bad I fail, 
I cannot escape him. Everybody with me? Um, I'm saying that a lot. Somebody pointed out that, that out to me. I say that over and over again in sermons. I'll try not to. Um, so as we dive into Nehemiah, we're about to see a history, right? Um, in my life, when I was faithful to God, I saw him do great things. I met my wife by praying and asking God what to do, getting a direction and saying, you can't make me do it, and then doing it anyway, Right? And I, I have wonderful children. I'm here. God has worked through constantly despite me. He's faithful. Um, the story of Nehemiah is the story of the rebuilding of a wall. The city of Jerusalem is in, like, ruins because they've been conquered by a foreign nation. Through a series of events, they were taken off into slavery. They've come back. Um, they rebuilt the temple, and they had no wall, which was a disgrace for a nation in the ancient world. Listen to the past sermons. We can't do all of it today because I've already gone way too long with the introduction. Um, Nehemiah is, a, is, a, is a, a Jewish man who was brought in to rebuild the wall, and he rebuilds it. And then when he's done, he looks and he says, the people are a wreck. And he starts a program of investing in the people to rebuild the population, and not just to rebuild them, but to make them not horrible anymore. Got it? Um, in the previous chapters, we've looked at where the people have begun to come back to God, and there's kind of a religious fervor, right? They've started, like, reading the book of the law and repenting and celebrating God's mercy. And um, when we left off last week, it was at the tail end of the Festival of Booths, um, which is a big, long religious festival celebrating the escape from Egypt, slavery in Egypt, um, which is kind of interesting because they had just gotten out of slavery in Babylon, Right? And so they've returned home, and they are celebrating God has brought us back from, from exile, from our, our slavery, from our crushing position. Um, now, on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting in sackcloth and with earth on their faces. This is going to sound a little weird. Um, sackcloth was not a fashion statement, as we understand them today. Sackcloth is, in fact, uncomfortable. Everybody with me? Sackcloth, you do not put, I said it again, so you don't put sackcloth on because you want to be comfortable. It is not the lay around the house and watch TV clothes. It is the remind me of how uncomfortable I am clothes. And for Jewish folks, they would wear sackcloth first off so folks around them knew that they were mourning or that they were doing something religious. Um, and secondly, because it was a reminder, that itchiness reminded them, oh, I should be praying. Oh, I should be mourning. Oh, I should be. And it was sort of this constant like nagging thing. Um, it's like having a four-year-old who wants something done, but you don't quite have time yet. And what does the four-year-old do? Asks, and then asks again, and then asks again, and then asks again, and then asks again. And over and over and over and over and over and over again, um, that asking takes place. And so they're in sackcloth. They're fasting. Fasting, the purpose of fasting would be to show devotion to God, but it was also to take away distractions so the only thing you're focusing on is God, right? And so instead of meeting physical needs, you meet spiritual needs. And so they are in sackcloth, they're fasting, and they've got dirt on their faces. What does it mean to have dirt on your face? It was an outward show that I'm not in a good place. The Jewish folks were very, very, very flamboyant in their religious um, depictions as far as mourning was concerned. If you had a family member die, you would um, sometimes hire people to come and mourn, and you would walk around in crowds crying out loud and hollering about how sad you were. 
And it was a part of how they did things. They were just out there. And they showed it. We are in mourning. And so this is an outward expression of we are pursuing God in recognition that we screw up a lot. And we're going to get into that in a second. Um, my slides keep kicking me out. So they are covered in dirt. Today we don't do that because Jesus says, listen, if you're going to do something in relation to God, do it without putting on a show, right? What's between you and God is between you and God, not between anyone else. Because folks had started doing this, and instead of it being an expression of me and God, it became an expression of how awesome am I? Look at how holy I am. I'm fasting. (laughs) And if it's all about me, it ain't all about God, right? Um, So we keep going. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it, they made confession and worship the Lord, their God. So they gather in a public place and they have a giant worship service. Um, They separated themselves from foreigners. The reason they did this was not because they said... You know, let's not invite those Canadians to church. Though I see the temptation. Nothing. She can't hear me. Um, um, It's a joke. We we like Canadians. Um, the, the, The reason they did it was because the Jewish people were a people of a promise. God promised to the Jewish people, you will be my people specifically through your lineage. And so they separated themselves from everyone who is not a part of their lineage because this worship service is about that promise, right? And so, like, this would be roughly akin to me sitting down with some of my closest brothers in Jesus so I could pray about something I'm struggling with, right? Um, I may not invite a non-believer to that because there's not really a common ground. They're not obliged to the same thing I'm obliged to because I belong to Jesus. Got it? Um, So they separate themselves to discuss their contract with God, and to, like, repent of the fact that they're not doing a very good job with it. They read the book of the law. Um, This is important because the law brings repentance. It makes us aware that we fail, right? Um, It's a little like me getting halfway through a construction project. You know, you buy the box and you put the pieces together, and about halfway through, you pick up the manual and you say, maybe I should look at this, I'm a little lost. And then you start comparing these step-by-step notes and you start taking things back apart because you realize you put it together wrong. Um, And and then you start all over again according to the instructions. They'd been living. They'd been violating God's law. They stop. They read the, like, collection of God's law and they say, oh, no, we're not doing it right. Time to start over. And so they repent. They For a quarter of the day, this means they've spent about six hours, or excuse me, about four hours reading the law. Four hours. My sermons are not that long. Everybody got it? (laughs) Um, So they spend four hours, and then they spend four hours praying. Um, We go on. On the stairs of the Levites stood Yeshua, Bani, my wife suggested that I do this, and a bunch of other guys with Hebrew names I'm not going to be able to say right. Um, And so they get these Levites standing in front on stairs, so they're elevated above them, and they cried out with a loud voice to the Lord God. So you've got a handful of folks crying out to God and praying in the front, right, on one side. On the other side, then the Levites, Yeshua, Cadmiel, and several others, I'm sorry, I'm bad with Hebrew names, um, said, stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name. 
which is exalted above all blessing and praise. So they have a worship service, and on this side of the room, they got guys crying out to God and praying. And on this side of the room, they got guys praying and saying, like, hey, God, you are awesome. So they got worshipers in front leading the affair. Everybody with me? I did it again. Um, huge crowd of people worshiping, standing. Um, they've got the Levites, who are the professional ministers, standing in the front, and they're praising God, and they're worshiping. And we jump into verse 6. You are Lord, you alone. You have made the heaven and the earth, or the, he- the heaven and the heaven of the heavens, with all their host and the earth and all that is on it and seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. Now, what we have here is the beginning of a song. This is a song that's going to go on for a while, okay? But it begins with acknowledgement of how on top of things God is, right? You are awesome, God. You are in control. You have things in control. God, you created everything. You created the sky. You created your dwelling place, heaven. You created the angels. You created the earth and everything that's on it, the seas, everything I see. So I was out driving a tractor for the bitses this week, which was awesome. It's like getting a Christmas present to to go out and spend time like in quiet driving a vehicle and picking up things, which is even better. Um, and I'm watching around me, and around me, I don't, I don't know how you farmers ever come in. You know, watching the mountains and the sunset over the mountains, right? Watching the hawk circling above, watching the mice scampering below, like all of the detail and amazingness in the creation and the idea that God literally just commanded it to be out of nothing. That's impressive, isn't it? I pick up my kids and hold them, and sometimes I never want to put them down. Sometimes I want to put them down fast because they're smelly, and I'm hoping mom will catch it. (laughs) But I pick up my kids, and I recognize this is a person that did not exist several years ago. And because God is faithful and taking care of me and my wife, because God um, took care of my father and my grandfather and my grandfather's grandfather, this beautiful child exists. This is a process of every step along the way, God allowing this to come to be. And that is amazing, isn't it? And so they open up with acknowledgement that God is awesome and God is in control. Why is that important? Because there's an emphasis sometimes on, it's all about me. Anybody ever heard that? Right? It's all about me. It's not worship if I don't have an emotional experience. It's not right or wrong if I don't think it is. At the end of the day, they're backing up and saying, we are just in relation to you, God. You are awesome. Which is the centerpiece of all faith, okay? If you are beginning with you, you are beginning in the wrong place. It is all about God's love for us and how awesome he is. Um, I tell my wife that she is beautiful on a regular basis, and I believe it is true. I have several pictures of her from over the years. And when I sit at my desk in my home office, I look up and I say... Man, my wife is just gorgeous. I love her smile. And I tell her because she should be told. Isn't it true? Um, I tell her because she should hear it. Not because I want something. Not because, um, you know, I'm trying to earn some affection. Not because of anything like that. But because, because she's that pretty, she needs to know. When we worship God, we do not worship God to get something. We worship God because God deserves worship. Right? 
Job says it, even though God slays me, still I will worship him, right? Even when we have bad days, even when God does stuff we don't like, even when we're ticked off at him, God still deserves to be worshipped because he's amazing. Um, in the same way that my wife is beautiful and deserves to be told. By the way, you should mention it to her on your way out today. <laughs> and I did not do something horrible I'm apologizing for. Um, You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. Abram means um, exalted father, and Abraham means basically father of many nations. So Abraham had no children, and God gives him children. He says, you are the first Jewish man. I'm pretty sure I butchered the Hebrew there. I'm very sorry. Um, uh, I'm always self-conscious. I look over at John, and I'm like, did I translate that wrong? Um, (laughs) But but, um, so he brought him out of the pagan people. You found his heart faithful before you and made him the covenant to give to his offspring the land of the Canaanite and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Jebusites and the Gerashites, and you have kept your promise, for you are righteous. Now, God picks Abraham. Abraham, who has no children, he makes a promise to him. Your children will outnumber the grains of sand on the beach. You will have lots and lots of kids and great nation, and the whole world will be blessed through your descendant. God promises to bless the world through Jesus because Jesus is Abraham's great, 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 great grandson. And God promises to redeem the creation through Jesus way before it even happens. And it's because God is awesome, not because Abraham was awesome. Everybody with me? Abraham had a heart that was faithful, and he never did anything wrong. Nope. <laughs> Abraham almost made it his pastime and hobby to screw up. He, he gave his wife away to several foreign kings so they wouldn't kill him. And I imagine that was a tough discussion with his wife afterward. Um. Abraham doubted God. He had a child with one of his servants saying, well, you know what, God, if you can't let me have a child through Sarah, let's go ahead and find another gal. Because he was faithful, right? Ultimately, God's awesomeness is the reason that Abraham was chosen. Why do they start worshiping with Abraham? Well, first off, this is a particular type of song, right? We have different genres of songs. We have country and western songs that are all about broken down trucks and dogs. I don't know anything about country music. That's about it, right? Uh, we, have, we have Johnny Cash songs, which are all about trains and prison. Um, we have songs that are love songs that are all about feelings that other people enjoy. We have songs about, I mean, we have songs that different genres and different types of songs cover different subject material. This is a psalm, right? So it's a worship song, and it is a specific type. It's called a historic psalm, and it's where they worship God by recognition of his role in history. Everybody got it? Um, By recognition of God's role in history, and specifically by recognizing God's faithfulness and power. All right? God is faithful. God is powerful. We are repentant because we have screwed up, and God is still merciful and faithful and powerful. Um, This applies to all of us, by the way. Let me ask a quick question. Have any of us lived in periods of time where we've run away from what God has told us to do? There's two of us. You and me, Larry. (laughs) Sorry to put you out there. Um, Or where we are currently doing that, saying, God, you're okay with this because I'm okay with it. Or where we are saying, um, you know what? 
if I just show up, I check my box, and I'm all right. All of us live in these places where we wander off and we do not pay attention to what God has for us. This song is all about that. And so they say, God, you know what? You're awesome to our descendant, our, our um, predecessor, to Abram. And you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt, God. And you heard their cry at the Red Sea, meaning you saw them in slavery. You saw them at the Red Sea um, and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of his land. For you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers and you made a name for yourself as it is to this day. And you divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land. And you cast their pursuers into the depth as a stone into the mighty waters. So they start talking about the Exodus. The Exodus is one of the most important events in Jewish history, right? If Jewish people are talking, nine out of ten times they're going to mention the Exodus because it is the time that God came out and made them his people in a completely different way. He went out, he fought for them, he beat up the bad guys, right? He brought them through the sea. What did I say the sea represents? Hell, right? Death, chaos. So he brought them through chaos and death and made them whole on the other side as his people. Right? That is huge. Look at what God has done with us, for us, folks. Look at how faithful God is to us. Wow. Um, and so they point out, God, you're awesome. You're faithful. Look at how great you are. You, you literally tossed our enemies into the ocean like a stone into the water. Second half of that verse, by a pillar of cloud you led them in the day, and by a pillar of fire in the night to light them on their way which they should go. And you came on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them right rules and true laws and good statutes and commandments. And you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them commandments and statutes and a law by Moses your servant you gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought them water for for them from out of the rock and for their thirst and you told them to go in and to possess the land which you had sworn to give them so God you took care of us in the wilderness everything you have done everything for us you are awesome as Christians we don't generally point out this stuff right we say God you sent your son to die for me Every wicked act I have ever committed, he took on himself. He was punished for every rotten thing I've ever done because you love me and you're faithful. That is something to sing about, right? I think just about every song this morning touched on that idea. God, you love me so much and these are the things you've done for me. And so there's this big buildup. Look at how much God has done for us. And then we jump into, but... They and our fathers act presumptu- acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you had performed amongst them. They were stiffened their, they stiffened their necks and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and you did not forsake them. Even... Even when they had made for themselves a golden calf and said, this is our God, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt and had committed great blasphemies. You and your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day and nor did the pillar of fire by night to light them on the way in which they should go. You gave your spirit, your good spirit, to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst, 
Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness, and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, and their feet did not swell. God, you were awesome to us, and we ignored it and rebelled, right? Did whatever we wanted. God, you gave us everything, and we ignored it. Or our forefathers did, right? God, these things and these things. And even though we rebelled, you loved us anyway and took care of us. Even though we ran away from you, you fed us and clothed us and gave us what we needed. Even though we did whatever we wanted, you loved us anyway. Um, And you gave them kingdoms and peoples and allotted to them every corner. So they took possession of the land of Sihon, king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. You multiplied their children as the stars of the heaven, and you brought them into the land that you had told their fathers to enter and possess. It's like American pie. It keeps going. Um, So the descendants went in and possessed the land and subdued before them the inhabitants of the land. Look at this stuff God did for us is basically what they're saying. The Canaanites and gave them into their hands with their kings and the peoples of the land that they might do with them as they would and captured the fortified cities in a rich land and took possessions of houses full of good things and cisterns already hewn vineyards olive orchards and fruit trees in abundance so they ate and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness so they say god you were awesome you brought us into a country that was already built and gave it to us that's like getting a furnished house right that's like showing up one morning for work and finding somebody already planted your field right the work's been done you gave us all this stuff you made us wealthy you did these awesome things for us what a great set of gifts Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back and killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you. And they committed great blasphemies. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of the enemies who made them suffer. And in time of their suffering, they cried out to you and you heard them from heaven. And according to your great mercies, you gave them saviors who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But... After they had arrest, they did evil again before you, and you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they could have dominion over them. Um, Yet when they turned and cried out to you, you heard them from heaven, and many times you delivered them according to your mercies. I told you this was a lot of verses. I'm trying to do them. Um, And you warned them in order to turn them back to your law. Yet... They acted presumptuously and did not obey your commands, but sinned against your rules, which in a person, which if a person does them, he shall live by them. And they turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their neck and would not obey. Many years you bore with them and warned them by your spirit through your prophets, yet they would not give them ear. Therefore you gave them into the hands of the people of the lands. Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. By the way, it's easy to read this kind of thing and say, those guys were jerks, isn't it? You ever read somebody else's history and say, man, what a loser. Ever listen to a sermon and look at the people around you and think, I'm glad that guy's listening. It's easy, isn't it? Um, Anybody relate to this at all? Look at all the things God has done for me, but. Look at all the things God has given me, but. Look at how much God has provided, but. I want to do my own thing. I want to chase after what I want. I want to fill my belly with the things I want to fill my belly with. I want to, you know, I want to do what I want to do. I know you love me, God, but you know what? I really love these things, and this is what I want. 
In the end, they didn't love God is the big problem, right? They loved their sin. All of us live that way. All of us do. All of us live in rebellion and fleeing from God and chasing after our own hearts. I do it probably more than anyone else in this room. And so I say this is a person who, like, is wicked. God loves us despite us. And God brings us back and he makes us holy through Christ who died for our sins, right? He's faithful even though we fail, even though we screw up. We call to him and he pulls us out of it. He lets us have enough rope to hang ourselves with. And once we find ourselves hanging, he'll come and pull us out of it. Isn't that amazing? How much is that God worth worship? How much is that God worth our devotion, our attention? Um, Now, therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love, let not all the hardships seem little to you that has come upon us, upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us, and you have dealt faithfully, and we have acted wickedly. Our kings, our princes, our priests, and our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments, and your warning that you gave them, even in your their own kingdom and amidst your great goodness that you gave them, and in the large and rich land that you have set before them, they did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. So they're basically standing up in the reciting all of this stuff and they're saying god you made an agreement with us and we screwed up right anybody ever have to do that with your parents mom dad you gave me the car keys this actually happened you told me not to drive on the highway in the rain that guardrail disagreed with my decision and so i wrecked the car and i got a very large ticket i know you gave me these things including the car I screwed up, right? God, you have given me all these things and I've done my own thing. Please don't send me out to live in the poorhouse. Please do not kick me out of your house. Please don't write me out of your will. Please don't stop loving me even though I failed. They're confessing. They're putting it out there. Behold, we are slaves this day in the land that you gave our fathers to enjoy its fruit. And it's good fruit, good gifts. Behold, we are slaves. And it's rich yield goes to the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. And they finally get to the point, we're slaves. Right? There are some of us this morning sitting here who are slaves to our sin. Isn't that the truth? All of us are really slaves to our sins. Even when we think we got it going on, we're still slaves to our sins because we, we just do. We rebel. God, today we're slaves. Make us free. Thank goodness, right? Thank goodness for Christ Jesus our Lord. As Paul says, even though who will save me from this body of death, literally meaning this dead body chained to my back, who's going to save me from it? Thank, thank God for Jesus Christ. Thank God that he died for me. Thank God that even though I fail, even though I rebel, even though I sin, even though I'm steeping in my own wickedness, thank God that you love me even though, right? Remember, my daughter screamed at a doctor at a doctor's appointment, my doctor's appointment. I took her out to eat. I gave her flowers. We went to the comic book store. I bought her some comic books and some toys. And then we went to the doctor, and the doctor gave her a sucker. And I said, Abby, say thank you. 
and she had a temper tantrum and threw herself on the floor and screamed and hollered. And when I picked her up and I said, you better cut this out, she screamed something mean at the doctor and hid behind the examination desk. And I talked to her when we got home and I said, Abby, I did this, I did this, you got this, you got this. The doctor gave you this and this is how you acted. And she cried. And she apologized. And the next time, two months later, I didn't mention it again, but she apologized at the doctor's visit. Isn't that something? We rebel against God, but God loves us even though. Even though we act like spoiled toddlers sometimes, and we do. God gives us what we want, what we need. He takes care of us. He loves us. And God takes care of us anyway. He loves us anyway. You cannot go far enough to get away from his love. The back end of that is because he loves you, he will not let you wander far enough away to wreck yourself. And if you do, you'll find yourself in a place you'll never want to be. Anybody else been there? They rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please, and we are in great distress. Because of all of this, we make firm, a firm covenant in writing on the sealed documents are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. So they end with, God, we have screwed up, we have failed, we're in this place today. 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 We're putting it in writing. We're going to make it right. We're putting our name on it. We're putting our priest's name on it. We're putting our king's name on it. Today is the day. And we're going to do better. Were they perfect? No. But they strove after it. They chased after it. I want you to check something out here. The biggest emphasis in this song is not their saying sorry. Right? It's there. But the biggest emphasis is how God loves them and God provides for them. All of our repentance, all of our prayer, all of our everything comes back to that. God loves me. God takes care of me. God pulls me back in when I want to do what I want to do. He loves me even though no matter how far I go, no matter where I go, I make my bed in hell. He'll pull me back in when the time comes because God is awesome and he's faithful. Um, It's a little like marriage. You see that in Hosea, where Hosea marries a prostitute named Gomer. Gomer. And she runs away, even though he loves her, and she becomes a slave, like a sex slave in a temple. And he goes and buys her out of slavery, and he loves her, and she does it again. (laughs) He goes and buys her out of slavery and brings her home and dresses her up nice, and she does it again and again and again. And God pulls her back, or Hosea pulls her back, and in the end he says to Hosea, he says, you know what, as much as it hurts you, this is a portion of what I feel when my people rebel against me. God who gives us everything, right? But the good news in it, the good news in it, the good news in it is um, God will bring us out of Egypt, brings us out of our sin, out of our rebellion, out of our wickedness. Um, This doesn't mean we have to sit and cry, but it sometimes means we do, right? It doesn't mean that we have, to, we have to sit around and talk about our feelings, but sometimes we do, right? It means that we acknowledge where we fail. Um, we don't repent of our father's sins. We mourn over them, right? I don't need to say sorry that my grandfather is an alcoholic. I didn't do that. He did it. But I mourn that, that it had the effect on the family that it had, right? 
that he didn't live out God's full purpose. And I mourn that. But I repent of my own sins. And so as people, we're called to do this, right? In Jesus, we're saved. In Jesus, we're given grace. But we've got to acknowledge it. We've got to own it. And we've got to stand up and say, you know what, God, today, today, we're going to do this better. I'm going to call Jeremy forward. We've got one last song. Did you remember to do that? No, we don't. <laughs> do you have a song you can do for me? Come on. We're going to close with a song. Y'all aren't going to sing. Jeremy's going to sing. Um, what I want you all to do this morning as we close